Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 22? Luke chapter 22. We are actually only going to go through one verse. Actually, part of a verse. But I do want to read the context. We, uh, this is our, if you're just visiting with us, uh, the first Sunday of each month we have a communion service. Uh, this sermon is actually inspired by one of my favorite preachers, Charles Spurgeon. But uh, the scriptures only give, before I move on, the scriptures only give two visuals for the church. That's it. Two visuals, two visuals, two ordinances. Baptism is given to the church to visually display to the church and those around of an initial relationship to Christ. You are saying to the world and to the church, Christ has saved me. I am no longer my own, but I have come to trust in him and have come under his lordship and am part of the universal church. What communion is, or you can call the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist is what it's called as well, is the second visual display to the church. Not of its initial relationship, not of your initial relationship with Christ, but of your continual relationship with Christ. That is to say, Christ has saved me and I am still no longer my own. And I still trust in him. And I still am under his lordship. And I am part of his local church, which is a local visible expression of the universal church. You see... In his wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ knows that you and I need this. We need this. You see, we need this because we are a forgetful people. We forget of his grace. We get too caught up with scrolls and feeds. We forget of his patience. We forget of his forgiveness. We forget of his rightful ownership and lordship over our lives. We forget of his sacrifice on the cross. We forget of his astounding resurrection, which grants us hope in this life and in the next. We are forgetful of his love. Thus, our own love for the Savior grows cold. Just like that old song written 250 years ago, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Even the wisest and most mature Christians, we can have to fight apathy and lukewarmness. And God gives us this text and he gives us a visual. One of the blessings of the Christian life. This is a blessing, brothers and sisters to take communion with a local body of believers. This is the table that our Lord has set for you to remind you of who he is. Notice in Luke 22, he says, verses 14 and 19, it was already read. I'm going to read it again. Luke 22. We know that this is, if you look at verse 1, it's during the Passover. So verse 14, when the hour had come, he reclined. Notice the comfort and the ease. He reclined. And the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I say, I will never again eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this, 
Share it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me was with mine on the table, and indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. You notice this verse here. Verse 19. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now you notice that section. That's going to be our verse for consideration. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what this table's about. God's word is given to you this morning so you would richly savor and meditate on the Lord Jesus Christ when taking his supper. That's the whole point of this text. Not that you would perform a ritual, not that you would complete a ceremony, but you would savor and treasure who he is. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, he says, as, as what, by way of background, do this in remembrance of me. Notice it's not do this in introduction of me. This is not a table. This is a table set for the beloved ones in Christ. If you're visiting here, I just want you to know. This is a table for believers. These are, this is a table for those who have placed their trust in Christ. It's not for rebels who have not laid down their weapons. But of those who are, it's for those who have repented of their ways. This is not a table to come to first know who Christ is. This is not an introduction to Christ. It's not an ordinance to get to know who he is. If you are a stranger to Christ, you cannot come. This is what the scripture teaches. This is a table to remember. You cannot remember him whom you do not know first. It's not a ritual that makes you right with God, very much as the confusion is with baptism. There is no magic in this bread. There are no mystical powers in this juice, this wine. This is not a saving ordinance. It was never meant to be. It is only to those who are already saved. And if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I am glad you're here so you can hear the gospel. But I have to warn you, if you take it and you have not bowed the knee previously to Christ, you actually heap condemnation to yourself. As much as I would love for you to take the table, if you don't know Christ, you are actually heaping condemnation to yourself. Salvation is by faith and faith alone in Christ. Not by joining others to swallow bread and wine. You've got to be born again. That is the requirement. You have to be born from above. It cannot be brought by some material items of bread and juice. Though however wonderful they are, the rebirth could only come by the Holy Spirit. And it is these who Christ calls to sup with him. 
His message is quite simply that God created all of us, every one of us, to image forth his glory by word, by deed, by thoughts. And our sins and our devices have set us apart from him such that we deserve the judgment of God. God sent his only son to be born of a virgin, to live a holy life, which we need desperately from him, his righteousness. He suffered, bled, died, was resurrected, and ascended for us. And the Bible says, if you believe in him, you will be saved. You can be saved right now. Later on, our brother Jeremy is going to warn us in taking communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. it says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. It is a warning to folks that you, that you have to discern yourself, but you cannot discern yourself if you have no faith. If you do not know him, you cannot remember him. What high offense it is to Christ that you would take his meal, yet still rebel in your heart against him. You hate the one who is giving the meal. If you do not know him, he will disown you. That's what Matthew 7 says. It's not the popular gospel. It is what Christ said. Everyone, not everyone in Matthew 7 says, Lord, Lord, who will... Enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy your name? Do we not cast out demons? And Jesus says, I will declare to you, I never knew you. But if I were to leave you there, that is, that's, has no hope for us. But God says, you can come if you but deal rightly with your sin in Christ. Make it right with God by receiving his gift of his son first. Now, that as a caveat, if you are here, that the most important thing to give first to Christ is your heart. You need to give who you are before you even think about taking these ordinances. But for you who, who know him and who love him, I, I want to just give you two considerations as we're, as we're talking about the communion. To richly savor Jesus when taking his supper, that's what it's here for, so that you would stop and pause in life. To richly savor Jesus when taking the supper, there are two instructions on his communion. Number one, the Lord's Supper is designed to stoke your greatest memories. The Lord's Supper is designed to stoke your greatest memories. You notice he says, do this in remembrance of me. The word there, to do this, is to do or to make. It's the simple a word in the original. It's in its second person plural form in the imperative. He is actually commanding you to do this. All believers are to do this. This is a supper which he himself has laid out. You would be offensive if someone invited you to dinner and, and you said you were going and at the last minute you didn't have any good excuse. You just says, I ain't showing up because I don't feel like it. The Lord Jesus is saying, I am spreading out this dinner for you. And he, he directs us to take it. The Lord's Supper was so designed by Christ because of our memories. We need to be stoked in our memories about his wonder, his majesty, his glory. It's simple yet profound. 
Notice the very mode of it is very simple. Because our Christ is simple. Even as uh, one pastor quoted, all the pomp that he ever had when he rode through Jerusalem, it was on a colt, the fowl of an ass. Even then, all the pomp consisted in this, that the people laid their garments in the road, strewed branches along the way in the excess of their joy. Golden ornaments and flowers and incense and accolades are far removed from his plain and natural habits. Notice Jesus broke the bread and he poured the wine and he said, do this in remembrance of me. There was no incense. There was no ritual. There was no kneeling. There was no gold robes. It was a simple commandment for simple people from a simple Lord. It's when we start to add things to it is when superstitions get encouraged. If you just imagine maybe James and John going to one of our modern communion services and someone comes in rolling a ball of incense and it's blowing everywhere. Someone speaks in a language that's not even ours that we couldn't even understand. And folks kneel to receive it. And the, and, and the wine that is given is served in gold. And, in, and, and the, the cup and the bread that is served it is, is, is in silver. I think James and John would look at each other and he said, this don't look like what Jesus told us to do. You remember when we first read chapter 22, he said in verse 14, notice the, the comfortability, the approachability of Christ. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table. The table. It is a sweet time of fellowship with the Savior. There's no bowing. Paul would probably look at it and say, Man, I, don't, I don't think this is right. It's a simple supper because he's a simple savior. We are all forgetful. Even the best of Christians need to remember this. We're apt to sin. We need our feeling memories revived. I don't think there's anything that causes us to think about our sins more and how they've been forgiven in Christ than his death. It turns our hearts back to him. Maybe you have, maybe you are a believer in Christ and you know him, but you feel like you've been away from his word. Maybe you've just not been listening to God's word proclaimed. Maybe you're not obeying in a certain area of your life and you need to hear of Christ again. This is for you this morning. You need to be revived. It's simple yet profound. It's an invitation yet a command. Notice, he has set the table. He said, this do. Tip, in, in the original language, it's not do this. It's this do. This do in remembrance of me. To sup with him. To commune with him. You need this. 
It's an ordinance, but it's also a message. When we take the bread and we take the wine, notice in, uh, keep your hand here in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul explains a little bit more about what this ordinance is as a message. He says in 1 Corinthians 11 chapter, uh, I'll start in 23, for I received from the Lord that which also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. Sound familiar? Just like Luke 22. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, also supper. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Look at verse 26. In this sidebar, Paul explains what are you doing as well as doing this ordinance. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is a message. It is saying that I believe in what he has done. He has died for me. That there is this glorious exchange. That on the cross I am guilty of my sins. And at the cross his righteousness was put upon me. And my sin was put upon him. And when God the Father looks upon me. He no longer sees a sinner. He sees the very righteousness of Christ. Hallelujah that's who I am now. That's what you proclaim. That is a message. We, we will sing and we will preach until Christ comes or until they put me in the ground. It's an affirmation, yet a promise. Go back to Luke 22. Oh, I love this. I love this. Luke 22. Notice how he describes this verse. Do this in remembrance of me. Now all of it, you have to fit it in context. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured for you is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant in my blood. You have to stop and ponder, remember this covenant. It is a promise to you, believer. It is a promise to you that you will not face judgment for the sins that you have done. It is a promise that he says that was promised even back in Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant, he says, which I will make with the house of Israel after these days. Now listen to this. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This new covenant is his promise that if you come to Christ no longer, no longer will you be the old self. He says, I will put my spirit within you. Ezekiel 36 says, says the same thing. And you will walk in my statutes. What that means is he takes out the heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. The heart of stone that doesn't want to bow to Christ, that doesn't want anything to do with him. You know this is true. You were born like this. There is something wrong with us all. 
There is no one who's born a Christian. That is, that is not true. The Bible says we were born into sin. And the Bible says that what we need is not to be born into a Christian family that doesn't save us. What we need is to be reborn into his family. And what he does is he takes out the heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh. And this regeneration, that's what it's called, the new birth, now is a heart that beats after Christ. He says, I will put my spirit within you. Look at Ezekiel 36. You got to see it. Ezekiel 36. This is the same covenant that Jesus is saying. And now he's sealing it in his blood. He promises it in Ezekiel 36. Notice he says here, I will take you from the nations, verse 24. I will, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. The filthiness of your nature and the pull of your idols. That's what God does when you come to Christ. When someone comes to Christ, it's not just I'm forgiven. It is now I am not dominated by my sin. I'm not enslaved to it anymore. I may struggle with it, but it is not controlling me anymore. I have a new Savior. That is Christ. Notice he says, how will you do this? Verse 26, I will give you a new heart. He doesn't repair your heart. He doesn't fix your heart. He gives you a new one, brothers and sisters, such that your heart beats for the things of Christ. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. Give heart of and, uh, give your, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. How does he do it? Look at verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. This is what it means to be a Christian. You don't do good things to become a Christian. You can't change someone's heart by the outside. God does surgery. In order to come to Christ to be a Christian, he has to take your heart and transform it. He removes it and gives you a heart for Christ. What does that look like? It says here, you will walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. There is this bent, this new direction where before it may not have been necessarily like I'm a murderer or I want to kill someone or I want to steal everything, but you're not following after Christ. You don't want him to be Lord over you. You may say, I said a prayer when I'm five, when I was five or when I was eight, but you're not following him. You know it's true. But what happens is to be a real Christian, you, you, God changes your heart. You believe upon him and he changes the direction of your life. That's what repentance is. You're going one way. And then when you trust in Christ, you face towards Christ, you trust in him, and you repent, and you turn away from the sin and the world. It's not a perfect turning away. You may even struggle with certain sins, but you know that there has been a break. That is why when we say you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, what most churches teach now is that you just receive him as Savior. You can receive him as Lord later. That is not true. That is not the way God saves. When God saves, he changes 
indefinitely. When God, sa- when God changes and when he saves, he changes for all time. He removes your heart and he gives you a heart of flesh and you want to pursue him. That is the difference. That is real gospel preaching. Now, it's an affirmation that he will do this. So when you take this cup and you take this bread, you're saying, God, I'm still affirming that you have changed me. That I am no longer my own. That I've been bought by your blood. That my sins are forgiven. And I'm never going back. It's personal. Yet it's also corporate. Oh man, I love this. It's personal and it's also corporate. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, one of the names for the Lord's Supper is also communion. It's communion with Christ, personally. But it's communion with each other. This is a public visual demonstration. We're all here. Think about this. We're all, if you know Christ, we're all going to heaven together because of what he's done. I'm going to see you, Ty. If you graduate next week and then die, hey, I'm going to see you, man. Isn't that sweet? Now, again, the ordinance does not make you a Christian. Christ makes you a Christian. Faith in Christ makes you a Christian. But this is an outward display saying, I am still a believer in Jesus. I still follow him. I still want to obey him. And I'm still in communion with you. Let's go hand in hand on this pilgrim walk together. We talked about it last week, how you will see your brothers and sisters who have died in the faith. You will see mom. You will see dad. You will see uncle. You will see auntie again. But in this, in this little brief time span called your life, we get to enjoy the sweetness of communion now. Spurgeon said it this way. I wish I could say it like him, man. I want to preach like Spurgeon, but he's, he just says it much better. Notice, I am never happier than when I'm in your midst, my beloved brethren. And we all sit around the table because I think of all the Lord has done for you and me. Why is it not worth while going to heaven alone? A little lost child sits down at the doorstep of a West End mansion and cries out because it is so lonely. Is that our position in heaven? Are we to take no friends with us there? Who wants to be solitary in the new Jerusalem? But oh, to come with you all to the table and to look into the faces of all of God's people and to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is in each one of them. Is there nothing sweeter? (laughs) 
to richly savor Jesus when taking his supper. There are two instructions on his communion. One, the Lord's Supper is designed by its simplicity, by the elements, by how we are to take it. It is designed to stoke your greatest memories. Secondly, the Lord's Supper is instituted to remind you of your greatest treasure. It's not your health. It's not your wealth. It's not your passion hobby. It's not your passion job. It's to remind you of your greatest treasure. And believer, this is simply because the object of memories is Christ himself. Do this or this do in remembrance of me. I want you to think of me. I want you to think of me. Remembrance is a a reminder, a calling to mind, a reminiscence. If you recall, some months ago we did a series on worship and how worship starts. It, It starts with God, his person, and his actions. And we respond to that by remembering that first. And then we submit to him. This is where it's, this is where your love is harnessed. This is where you're, if you feel like you're far away from God, remember, remember Jesus Christ. It initiates with God's person and work. We respond to remembering who he is and what he has done. This remembrance, notice, this remembrance is not a continual sacrifice for his sacrifice is perfect. You remember? Hebrews 10.10 says, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. If you add a posture or you add some other tradition that takes away from remembering, you need to remove that. And he added embellishments encourages superstition. We strive for simplicity. He says, remember me. The main point of it all, think about this, the main point of it all is not to remember doctrine, however important. I believe doctrine is incredibly important. Paul tells Timothy to retain the sound doctrine, to retain the sound words. The main point of it all is not to remember methodologies. How to do this or how to do that. The main point of it all is not to remember precept. The main point of it all is to remember the very person of Christ himself, Jesus. To revel in Christ. When was the last time you just reveled in Christ? Perhaps this morning you want to just be restored in the joy of your salvation in Christ. It is this person, brothers and sisters, that saves. Not abstract ideas. It is Christ himself who died on the cross. Not a poem. Not a bunch of words. It is Christ himself, the person who has died on the cross. He is not a painting. He's not a sculpture. He is a person that brings life. You know, there is far more greater application in this piece of verse than can be covered. 
here are a few, brothers and sisters. Just let your mind by faith in his word in Christ dwell on these things. Remember he, here's a, here's a few for your consideration. Remember he who is your healing. Isaiah 53, if you recall, you are healed by his stripes, by his suffering, by his wounds in your hand, by his sweat of great drops of blood. You are healed by that crown of thorns. Remember he who is your salvation. He himself is your justification before a holy God. Justifying meaning that when God the Father looks upon you, he counts you as not guilty because he looks at you with the righteousness of Christ. This is why it's not a prideful thing to say that I am saved because it's not based on what I do. It's based on Christ and what he has done. Remember, he who is your salvation, he is, he is your sanctification. He is the one that you are motivated and desire to emulate. He is that which you desire to grow more and more in holiness in him. This do in remembrance of me. Remember him who is your tenderness. It is his love for you that has tenderized your heart for others. If you feel like you have no love for others, maybe you're ornery, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, oh, get with Christ. Remind yourself of his love for you and you cannot help but love others. You know you'd be an ornery, angry, bitter person were it not for the Savior's love first. You love because what? He first loved us. So it's not the, I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm going to be a Christian whether it kills me or not. It is not that, brothers and sisters. You try that, you're going to go outside before you hit the parking lot and fail. It is simply me dwelling in the love that is in Christ and me having an outpouring of that. Doesn't he say, apart from me, what you can do? Nothing. Remember his reign upon your life. He is actually in control. <laughs> that even in your sickness, he has, you have his patience. In your persecution, you have his comfort. When folks misunderstand you, you have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In your service, you have a zeal when you're tired. In private, you have a secret room of prayer with him. In public, you have his boldness and courage to belt out the gospel. In your loneliness, you have his constant companionship. For he said he would never leave you nor forsake you. 
in your messed up situation. You might have a messed up situation. Oh, dear saint coming in here. You have his strength. This do in remembrance of me. He's not just a savior for my past sins. He is a savior for me now. Do you understand that? He's a savior for me now. Day by day. Week by week. Oh, saint, remember his intercession on your behalf. You do not serve a dead Christ. That's why we don't have any pictures of him still on a cross. He is not dead. He is resurrected on high. He is not a baby Christ, although I won't fault you if you have a nativity scene in in Christmas. He is a living, powerful, resurrected Christ who has defeated death. And he now, in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 says, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. It's an amazing thing. You think that maybe you've sinned past what Christ could forgive and he's still interceding for you. Maybe you've gone to this point where you go, man, I, I wouldn't have nothing to do with me if it was my choice. If it was my choice, I'd have nothing to do with me. And the Lord Jesus Christ connects himself to his believers, to his saints, and he says, I will still make intercession for you. He still prays for you. That's what intercession is. Remember, oh, I love this. Remember his coming. He will return again triumphantly. And the way the world is, he will set all things right. Are you tired of watching the news and saying, man, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Lord, come. Oh, brothers and sisters, he will set all things right. He is not some weak God. He is coming back. He he his first advent was on a on a donkey, but his next one will be on a white horse. And he will stomp his enemies. That's what the Bible says. But we act as if he's still in the tomb at times, don't we? We start to tremble when there's problems. Oh, where's God now? Or we act like we're going to live forever and that he's not coming to take us with him forever. Or sometimes we act like we don't have a master but our own appetite. And this is why Jesus gave the supper, brothers and sisters. As Spurgeon says, he said it this way. I love how he says it. The Savior gave us this supper because our treacherous memories require it. So brothers and sisters, if you've come and you're discouraged and you're downcast, 
and you failed, oh, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood. Lose what? All their guilty stains. Don't get so far off in theology and all of your... I love theology, brothers and sisters. Please understand that. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying is you don't forget who the book was written about. It is about the Redeemer. So let your memories dwell on this. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come and we thank you. We thank you for your word. You have told us by your son to do this. We are people who are most forgetful. Though you provide for us uh, in the you provided for us in the past, we'll forget that you'll provide for us in the future. Though you were faithful to us in the past, we forget you would be faithful to us in the future. Though we're facing a trial or a tribulation, we 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 think that you're not going to be there, but Lord, you tell us do this in remembrance of me. Oh God. May this bring glory to you and feed your sheep for your glory. Thank you for this Lord's Day. Bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen.